Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. You're listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from LunchtimeMovieReview.com. And we are the children of the 80s. The Children of the 80s are back with another review of one of our childhood favorite films. I'm Patrick. I'm Chris number one. I'm Chris number two. And this month we're reviewing Victory or Escape to Victory, depending how you look at the film, uh, from 1981 starring Sylvester Stallone, Michael Caine, Max von Sydow, and Pele, because every good soccer film needs a Pele. But before we get into our review of this classic 80s film, first, a word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the NFL. Dads, do you want your son to participate in a real man sport that gets all the chicks? Moms, do you want your sweet little boy to grow up to be something more than a cookie-eating bowl licker? America. Do you honestly think soccer will ever be popular in the United States for anyone with a brain over the age of 12? Did you just answer yes, no, no? Then you can thank the good old NFL for that. The NFL, the real football organization, or your bribe is on us. All right. And Chris, you have the summary for us as well? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> not a confident yeah <laughs> it's not as eloquent as my 13 page summary for the website but <laughs> uh, escape to victory begins with a happy beginning in a german pow war camp where we have many many allied prisoners playing football to keep their sanity uh, we've got john colby who is the captain in the british army and he was a pre-war professional football player for west ham united and this POW camp must have been murder on this guy because he cannot run to save his life. And now that he's a POW, he's organized something of a football league in the prison camp. After some German soldiers kill one of these POWs trying to escape, the Red Cross arrives to the prison camp to inspect the prisoners and make sure those nasty Germans aren't breaking any Geneva conventions. Uh, one of these accompanying German officers is Major Carl von Steiner, an ex-football player himself and a pretty good brewmeister uh, from the Strange Brew Days. Uh, he recognizes Colby and strikes up a conversation with him. Von Steiner suggests Colby get his best players in the camp and form a team which will play a German one in an exhibition match in gay Paris, France. While Colby is hesitant, he agrees to the offer, but when the other German officials learn of the game, they decide to hijack the event to use as German propaganda against the Allies. Hope that doesn't backfire. As Colby holds informal tryouts with the POWs to build a team, another POW, Robert Hatch, 
an American who is serving with the Canadian Army, tries to get on the team, but he has no skills and thus no luck. Eventually, he cons his way on the team as its trainer, using the excuse that this new team has switched up the prison guard schedule he's been learning, thus blocking the, his attempt to escape. Probably would just get gunned down like the previous guy. But he thinks Kobe owes him, and Kobe begrudgingly agrees to make him a trainer. Because it's good to have Rocky on your side. Meanwhile, or actually maybe it's good to have Rambo on your side. I don't know which one he was channeling in this one. Meanwhile, Kobe's superior officers sit in their very cushy prison barracks and help with any prisoners attempt to escape, if it's a reasonable plan. They get wind of the game and try to convince Colby to use the match as an opportunity for the team to escape. Colby balks at the notion because he doesn't want to get anyone killed. You know, if you get a bunch of people killed, you're just going to end up on an airplane with a drinking problem while Kareem flies the damn thing. Anyway, he's just trying to keep his men sane until the war ends and they can just go home and leave like nothing ever happened. Happy ending, sunshine sprinkles, all that sort of shit. Uh, even though Hatch weaseled his way onto the team, he's still planning his prison escape uh, that he's been working on with some minor adjustments. Instead of escaping naked in a shower, he's going to escape shirtless in a shower. So he's got that going for him, which is nice. Colby's superior officers convince Hatch to help them when they uh, withhold his passport they made for him, his fake passport they made for him. And so he's like, all right, well, I have no other choice, so I'll go to Paris. What do you want me to do? And they say, you've got to contact the French resistance because nobody expects the French resistance and see if an escape is possible and if they will help him with that escape. So Hatch does escape, no problem, without a hitch. Sunshine sprinkles once again. He makes it to Paris and finds the resistance. At first glance, the resistance doesn't think an escape is possible, but this is Hollywood. And they go out and case the stadium. The game will be played in. They figure out that they can dig an escape tunnel from a nearby sewer to a shower in the player's locker room. So they agree to help, but tell Hatch he's got to go back to that uh, POW camp to inform the British officers that they're going to help. So Hatch is like, well, how the hell do you think they're going to send me back to the crack camp? You don't know. And the, and the French say, all these Germans are very predictable. They will send you back to that same camp as an example. That resistance is futile, Borg style, that kind of stuff. Uh, so they capture him, and guess what? They do send him back to the same prison camp, but they put him in solitary confinement. Since Colby and his superiors can't talk to Hatch, they don't really know if his trip was successful as, or not. But one of the officers notes that uh, Hatch has some... Uh, sort of mythological experiences. And he has a, this hand gesture down, which symbolized the wing cap of Mercury, which I know Chris number two saw that coming a mile away as well. Absolutely. And as Chris will tell you, Mercury is the messenger of the gods. Yes, he is. Can you do that in a uh, Jar Jar voice by any chance? Oh, the gods. <laughs> uh, Colby tells Von Steiner that he needs Hatch on the team because his starting goalie broke his arm in practice and hatches his backup. Von Steiner doesn't really believe him, but he says he'll agree if the, the German doctor confirms it's a break. So now Colby needs to find a goalie with a broken arm. And, uh, you know, Patrick, I know that you 
do not like to watch the film Misery because there's a broken limb in it because it reminds you of the day that you got your leg broken. And there is a broken arm scene in this film. And did you have problems watching that? Well, no, because I saw this long before I broke my leg. Uh, And second, you don't see the break. Yeah. Uh, Like in misery. And so misery, it's the break of the leg that gets to me. And this is a break of an arm. So that uh, is less traumatizing for me. Okay. I just wanted to make sure you're okay. Yes. I I was very much okay. Okay. Uh, So Colby snaps his, the goalie's arm between two boards. Clean break. Just as the goalie asked. Uh, Now we cut to uh, Paris, France for the big game. The POWs enter the stadium under heavy guard, but that's okay because down below the resistance has their team on schedule with their tunnel. The plan is to break through the showers at halftime. The game begins and things go poorly for the POWs. Uh, but that's more because the German authorities have bribed, threatened, who knows, uh, the referee in charge to call the game in the Germans favor because they cannot lose German propaganda. That's the whole point of it. By halftime, the POW team only has 10 men on the pitch due to injuries. You see, I use that official football terminology, Patrick. <laughs> Their star player, Luis Fernandez, Pele, is one of them with a broken rib or two. And you can't have a good film with him sitting on the sidelines. So that's a dick move right there. Uh, the score is 4-1 to one in Germany's favor. I know we've sold Chris the whole seat and he's sitting in the whole seat. How, how did the team get better when Pele went to the bench? Or is that a later topic? Uh, that'll be a later to- topic. Okay. Okay. Oh, Chris, sorry. You know, patriotism. Patriot. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's sorry. how they got better. Brazilian patriotism. They're doing it for the Brazilian guy in I the mean, German POW camp. In there France. are various different countries. Their love for their individual countries made them better soccer players. Got it. Uh, where did I leave off now? Uh, Paley went to the Paley, Paley went to the bench. Oh, <laughs> yep. And the score is four to one in Germany's favor. Uh, in the POW locker room at halftime, the resistance breaks through as planned, but the POWs don't want to leave. What a dick move on their part. These French people have been digging in a shit-filled sewer for who knows how long. A goalie back at the prison is not going to be free with a broken arm. And these dickheads don't want to go through with the plan because they think they can win. Good thing this is soccer and it never ends in a tie. (laughs) Fuck. Anyway, they refuse to go except for Hatch who says, I want to go. Screw you. I'm Rocky. I'm Rambo. I got films to do. I'm out of here. But Pele in a very touching scene brought a tear to my eye. I don't know about you two. (laughs) Convinces Hatch to say through the thick and thin. And they return to the field. Yay. Everybody cheers. Except for uh, Rocky's girlfriend who's going to scream. Uh, no, Rocky's going to scream Adrian at her at the end of the game. That's what it's going to be. This is there, There's no Rocky parallels in this goddamn film at all. <laughs> None whatsoever. So, you know, they go back out on the field. And guess what? POWs managed to make a comeback through Chris's aforementioned inspirational world team allied spirit, whatever. Was Brazil an ally power back then? I have no idea. I think if anything, they weren't involved. I haven't been keeping up on my Brazil history. I know 
Argentina got a few of the kickbacks at the end of the war, but that's a different story. <laughs> so they make a comeback. Yay. And, but they're down by one. And of course, Pele comes back from the broken rib because you can't have a soccer movie with Pele sitting on the sideline the whole goddamn time, which they did. 90 minutes to get to the game, and then you sit Pele after two minutes. God damn. Anyway, Pele's signature bicycle kick, signature kick, all of those kicks into one, and they make it a tie, 4-4. Even though it should have been 5-4, but the the uh, bribed officials call one of the goals off because of offsides, fuckers. Anyway, with seconds left, mere seconds left, a foul is called in the penalty box, and it looks like the Germans are going to win because Hatch sucks as goalie. <laughs> but Sylvester Stallone is a very big star with a huge ego, like a Vin Diesel size ego, maybe even bigger. I, I, I don't know. We'll have to compare and contrast on that one. And he says, if I can't score the goal as a goalie, I can stop the ball. So after much tension, some eye-to-eye -eye contact where the German player may or may not have thrown the shot, might have telegraphed it. I don't know what that little romantic interlude was where they faced off. Hatch saves the ball. He gets it. A moral victory, 4-4 tie. This is typical for soccer. 90 minutes of drama ending with a fucking tie. <laughs> Goddamn soccer. Uh, anyway, it's a tie, but a moral victory. The uh, Parisian... Spectators who are also POWs, basically, of the Germans in France, storm the field, cover up the players with their own clothes. Uh, Pele, of course, takes off his shirt because that's, he's the only soccer player that uh, has any courtesy that when you win, you exchange your damn shirt. The others did not. I don't know what the deal is, but, you know, at least Pele had some goddamn courtesy in that time. And they whisk him off. German players, I guess German officers... Uh, Rocky shouts out Adrian and the lookalike Adrian comes to his side. Uh, I forget her name, but she was very cute and pretty French actress, very popular. This was her first English film or something. Uh, I'm sure Patrick will tell us in the stats. Um, no. Everybody bursts out in a happy ending. Dom DeLuise teaches the Nazis how to dance. And then a little, I don't know. I forget the end of blazing saddles. That's at the end. Right. To answer the question that we all want to know, yes, Brazil was involved in World War II on the side of the Allies and sent some of their best soccer players off to war. Ooh. That's that American education. <laughs> we get world history. <laughs> we we go so slow, we only make it up to World War I. Right. Anything yeah. after that is a, a fucking blur. Yeah. And, and, and I know that because I looked it up on Wikipedia and that could never be wrong. <laughs> uh, is that everything that you dreamed of? In a summary, uh, that and more, Chris. That it got is, us there. Yeah, it got us there. Now let's break this sucker down. <laughs> well, I got to do numbers first. Okay. All right. Victory or escape to victory, because Chris always labels it escape to victory, and I don't know where the hell you got that title, because I could never find that anywhere. It, it well, was it's on. It's on the opening credits on Amazon. Yeah, it it was just like America. The whole world sees escape to victory. America sees victory because they didn't want to confuse the football soccer people or something. I don't know. But technically, shouldn't it be escape from victory? Because <laughs> they're escaping from the victory that they had. I mean, that's just. Well, did they have a victory? It was a fucking tie. Well, yeah, but they should have lost. 
I mean, everything was stacked against them. So that uh, it's a symbolic act. But anyway, go with numbers. All right. Go with numbers. Released on July 31st, 1981, a summer blockbuster, if you will. Why couldn't Uh, they have done it on the 4th of July? This was so goddamn inspirational. Released on the same day as Under the Rainbow, a film that Chris and I have reviewed previously. Chris H. and I have reviewed previously. It's a gem. Uh, Released on the same month as Tarzan the Ape Man, Arthur, SOB, Escape from New York, The Fox and the Hound, Endless Love, and Chris's all-time favorite film, but I'm not going to tell you which Chris, Zorro the Gateblade. That's me. George Hamilton. Say something like a sissy boy. A budget of made on a budget of ten million dollars. It grossed ten point eight million dollars in the United States, twenty-seven point five million dollars worldwide. It was the sixty-third highest-grossing film of nineteen eighty-one, behind such classics as Blowout, Backroads, and I have a typo because I have Blowout again, <laughs> so I wrote that down wrong. And in front of such films as Rollover, Wolfen, and Carbon Copy. Uh, I have Stallone wanted his character to score the winning goal in the film as the goalie and the crew nice. talks out of it as being outlandish. Uh, although that has actually been done in game since uh, when teams are behind, they pull their goalie and just go with 11 players and no goalie. He was supposed uh, to be Canadian. They do it all the time in hockey. Yeah. In 2019, it was announced that the film was going to be remade and the remake was going into development, but has not been released since. And Rotten Tomatoes has this at, you guessed it, 63% critics and 71% audience. And that is the numbers on victory. Can you tell me briefly if either of you seen it, what was SOB about? I haven't, I know I've seen the title, but I don't know a damn thing about that movie. SOB? Yes. Blake Edwards movie. It's a Blake Edwards movie where Julie Andrews goes topless and in it's I, I I saw it once way probably in 81 or 82 and I want to say like her husband is has a flop of the picture and she's kind of a big name actress and the studio is saying the only way we can save this is if she goes topless and so it's convincing her to do that and and I guess it's like you know you know real life or art imitates real life because that's essentially what the fucking film is yeah, Richard Mulligan plays the director. I remember I saw it in the theaters back when it came out, and because uh, I loved Richard Mulligan from when he was on Soap. But the real question is, how the hell did you get to SOB from this movie? It was in a... What, 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 did, what was that segue that I missed? Oh, it was it released the same month. Oh, okay, okay. I have not seen that to this point yeah. in my life, and something tells me it's going to be a pass. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I think Victory was actually funnier than SOB, to be honest with you, but that's yeah, just my opinion. That might be true. I've never gone back and revisited SOB. I've seen Victory many, many a time. Many, many times. Many times. All right. Well, let's start off with the most crucial question to be asked. Who's a soccer fan to start with? Chris Cheek? No. Nope. <laughs> Not okay. a damn bit. I like real football. All right. And Chris H? I, 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 I know Chris and I have played on the same soccer team together. Yeah, I enjoy soccer. I enjoy football whichever you want to call it. I, I will always call it soccer, but I don't watch any, well, I don't watch rate American football either uh, on a, on a weekend basis. So I would say I'm a fair weather fan. And I will say that I did watch this movie exclusively because I was in AYSO at the time and they were pushing it big time. 
uh, because Pele. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. When you say you played on the same talk soccer team, you're talking about as youth soccer? Yes. yes. Oh, okay, because I played youth uh, actually, soccer also. I, I was going to say, okay. we never played on the indoor soccer league together, did we? No, because everybody I knew blew out a knee playing indoor soccer, and I did not want to do that. Uh, I, I did not blow out a knee, but I played indoor soccer for many, many years with many of the people I played soccer with in high school and as a kid. Uh, and and Chris and I played, I think it was in high school we played soccer. We were on the oh, same. Wow. We so, were on a not very good soccer team. At that no, we were on a horrible <laughs> soccer team. I mean, like as bad as this team was because we had no patriotism. You know. <laughs> and a crappy goalie. I had probably less muscle on me than those East uh, European <laughs> East players. European? I was scrawny. And, and were you not recognized either? No, no. <laughs> our, our 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 freshman high school uh, soccer team was so bad we had three girls on the team with us. Wow! <laughs> and they were the starters. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, that was the start. So <laughs> no, they had no girls' soccer team. So the they were required that they, if they, if they wanted to play, they had to play on the boys team. So we had three girls players, which means and we and were, if I, if I can ask how many times did your team get your asses whipped after the game for well, having three girls play on the team? Uh, well, we got, there was we no didn't issue. get our asses. Was there? No, we got made fun of every game. That's and, what I mean. Yes. And when I can sit here and count how many goals we scored in the entire season on one hand, that's bad. <laughs> so, I will say this, though, on, in all sincerity, because we actually had a really good soccer team. I didn't play in high school, but I did play youth soccer. Soccer players are by far the best athletes in the world. I oh, mean, yeah. the stamina and everything that it takes to play that game is just ridiculous. Oh, I, I, I absolutely agree with you, because the best shape I was ever in my life was during high school. Not that season of soccer. Uh, the soccer team got better <laughs> as, as I aged. <laughs> as, as the girls got better. Oh, well, actually, the girls had had actually a girls team. So they that was the only season they played on our team. But the, um, you know, by my junior and senior year, I was tremendously in shape uh, for soccer because I was generally playing every moment of the game, and you had to be in shape to to, yeah. to keep up that pace. But, um, but I mean, speaking of in shape, uh, obviously Michael Kane. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. He wasn't even in POW shape. Yeah, uh, there's so many issues I have with Michael Caine in this role. It's like I don't believe him as a soccer player. I certainly don't believe him as a POW because that's I the best. Believe him as, I barely believe him as an Englishman. <laughs> so, I you know he's notorious for saying, you know, I want I I signed on to do this film because I wanted to you know oh dirty rotten scoundrels oh it was going to be filmed on the French Riviera and I got to stay there you know oh. Um, Jaws the Revenge filmed in the Bahamas and I got to stay there. Why the fuck did you sign on for this one then, Michael? <laughs> because this just doesn't make any sense. Where was the filming location for the POW camp? Do you know? Uh, I have no idea. Oh. Try and look it up. I know that uh, the the Paris, he, he had a nice time I'm sure in Paris for those yeah. What I mean, what did you think of him as the team captain, Chris G, or Chris, Chris H? Well, he was laughable. I mean, as a kid, I didn't notice it, you know, but as an adult, I'm like, this guy is not, there's, there's no plausibility uh, to it, but um, he didn't even seem like he was worthy to be a captain in the military. Maybe that's why he was in the camp. I don't know, but uh, no, he, he was the wrong choice for this role. And I really like Michael Caine. 
so I don't want to bag on him, but this was not a, a good uh, casting for him. Agreed. And the filming location was Budapest, Hungary. <clears throat> yes. Oh, I would go. That would be a nice place. I don't know. Uh, I guess their leader right now isn't the the best, but I would go <laughs> visit there in the eighties. Um, we're on Michael Caine. Yeah, I no, I agree with Chris H uh, or Chris number one. Um, <laughs> I'm the one wearing the blue shirt for those listening. No, okay, okay, yeah, Michael Caine. Uh, weak as a weak as a coach, weak as a character, actually. But I don't want to get into all that just yet. Uh, I just thought he was, you know, let's let's we need an English leader. Hey, Michael Caine's available. What a surprise. Let's get him. Yeah. Michael Caine, a man who didn't turn down projects in the 80s at all in any way, shape or form. But uh, and I wonder, I don't want to go there right now. What what are you saving it for the, the fourth? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to define this role compared to that in Jaws 4 or the hand. You know, it's okay. Oh it's a tough call. I don't know if I've seen the hand. Oh, uh, Oliver Stone, come on now. Well, that that's probably why then. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good movie. Um, well, you know, no, I agree. Michael Caton is woefully miscast as a soccer player, as a POW. And the I, I was pay, specifically paying attention. It's like, do, do they show him in any scenes actually doing anything with a ball? And the question, the answer to that is no, they do not. <laughs> I mean, other than holding the ball like on the sideline and stuff, but he's never like kicking the ball or doing anything substantial from it. I mean, it's just, I think we it, got one kick out of him because it looked awkward. I, I think one, yeah. <laughs> he stubbed his toe. So, uh, what about Stallone in a film that just doesn't seem to scream? We need Sylvester Stallone. We didn't need Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> um, you know, let's face it. He looked the part. Uh, you know, guy was in incredible shape and everything. And that was one of the funny things when Max von Sydow is, you know, talking to Michael Caine and Michael Caine's like, look at these guys. They can't run up and down for 90 minutes. They'll be puking their guts out. You got Stallone who's all ripped. Everybody's in great shape out there. It's like, what the hell's he talking about? You know, you had the typical Stallone sneers and all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it was just hard listening to him talk throughout the movie. But his athleticism and, you know, the soccer scenes and things like that, you know, you could tell it was him and not a, a double or anything like that when he was uh, diving after the ball or when he was getting in some scrums and things like that. So you got to give him credit for, you know, being willing to, you know, throw himself in there. But, you know, acting wise, it was, you know, it was Stallone. I don't know if he, it was the way he was written or if the way he portrayed it, but the the first 45 minutes he just annoyed the fuck out of me. Um, I, I don't remember this as a kid, but he, he was pestering everybody. It was, it was extra annoying. And I, I guess it was kind of written that way because I actually liked Sylvester Stallone from this time, you know, uh, mid to late seventies, early eighties. I think all of his stuff was great. It was before it was really starting to get to that Rocky three sort of cheese. But um, so I was a fan of his stuff at this time, but watching him in this film, it was off putting until he got to Paris. I thought once it was Paris, I'm like, okay. But then I will say that once he got to Paris, that's when the film picked up anyway. The first 50 minutes, what a fucking drag. I'm Tim Hatch. I'm trainer. Hatch, the trainer. Hatch, the trainer. <laughs> that I'm was Hatch. that was kind of funny though. I thought that that <laughs> I did like. I'll, I'll give that. All right. Well, 
you know, I, this is going to sound weird, but this is my defining film for Stallone. This is the film that introduced Stallone to me. I didn't see the Rocky movies until after I saw this, after I saw this film many times. Because like Chris stated, uh, this was kind of pushed on me as a soccer film to see when I was a kid, and it was on the HBO loop. So I got to see it probably dozens and dozens of times when it would just get rerun and rerun, rerun. It wasn't until years later that I saw first Rocky three and then went back and saw Rocky's one and two and then eventually first blood. So, I mean, this is, this is how I got introduced to this actor. And now I look at it and go, wow, you know, I know why he did it because John Houston directed it. Um, probably spinning in his grave right now thinking that he did that. Uh, but it was, it was such a, a, the antithesis of what I expect from a Stallone film. Did you see so death race 2000 by any chance? No, I, I still don't think I've ever seen it to this day. I, I enjoyed uh, him in that film. That that might be the earliest one. Uh, don't quote me, but I think it was before Rocky. And um, I liked him in that. He was he was a prick uh, racer. Perfect uh, part for him. So how, if I can ask, how old were you guys when you first saw this movie? I saw I, it in I, the theater. I did too. I, I might have seen it in the theater. I don't distinct. I might have seen it at the drive. I think I saw the drive-in with something else. Um, and then when it came on HBO, I just saw it repeatedly. But it probably wasn't until 82 uh, that I or 83 that I started seeing it on HBO like over and over again. But I played soccer. So I played soccer for years when I was a kid. So I was, you know, there, there were not a lot of soccer movies. There was, you know, uh, uh, there was this. There was this. Yeah, I was just oh, there was one. I can't. Yeah. I, I can't think of another soccer. Film. You know, at the time, no, I can't think of anything. Not, not until immediately Ladybugs with Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, uh, or alive. Classic. You know, or alive. <laughs> no, the reason I was asking you know, that's, just a, that's a film of a different flavor. There. You know? <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't see because I grew up in the era. I'm a couple of years older than you. I grew up in the area in the era that, you know, I saw Rocky first. So I went and saw this in the theater because it was a Stallone film. Um, I'm guessing you saw it because it was a soccer film. So my, right. I'm curious as to what did you think of Stallone the first time you saw this, if you can re recall, and then you said you went back and watched the Rocky series versus him in the Rocky series. I mean, he was, uh, in, as a kid, uh, you know, I, he was fine as an actor. You know, I was drawn to soccer first, Pele second, and then just you know, probably World War II at third because my, my mom was a huge fan of war movies. So I watched war movies with her all the time and that I considered this a war movie. So this is something I could watch with her and relate to. You know, his acting didn't bother me. And to be honest with you, his acting doesn't even bother me that much now he's not the worst actor on the screen by any stretch of the imagination. I think Michael Caden's the worst actor. I, <laughs> I, I, Pele was, I mean, yeah, I believe him as a soccer player because he, he was, but his, his dialogue delivery is just absolutely horrible. You know, it's, it's, it, it sounds like he's delivering dialogue phonetically because he doesn't, the, the word, he doesn't put emphasis on the words that you normally would expect a person to say, Hotch, Hotch, you could do it. You know? <laughs> Come on, Hutch. Come on. So, I mean, it just is, uh, it's, you know, I, I, I it was introduced to this film as, uh, you know, for soccer and kind of commenting on what Chris said is I, I, I really enjoy playing soccer. I hate watching it. 
I find soccer, watching soccer on television is incredibly boring. Um, but I really love uh, playing the sport myself. I just, it's, you know, it's a lot of running around for sometimes one nil, you know? <laughs> so yeah. It's, it's, a one nothing insurmountable lead. But if you do watch any of the World Cup soccer, you will realize that a lot of those players are better actors than Michael Caine and Stallone in this movie. True. When they fake an injury, man. I was going to say, they're taught how to flop at an early age. Amen. You you would think uh, they gave Oscars out for those flops the way they do them. (laughs) Well, what, I mean, what do, what do you guys think of the general premise of this film of the soccer game? I mean, this, this is a mix of genres, World War II, uh, escape film, uh, and then throw in the sports theme. And just for good measure, let's add in Rocky. I mean, what did you did you think it was effective at all as far as presentation? You know, it's such a mishmash of things. I I guess it's kind of loosely based on real events, kind of like our Joy Noel review, but not as well done. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I thought it was silly, uh, the, the overall premise. And I think it was just. I think that if you're going to get all these uh, soccer stars of the era together, I think we could have put it in a happier environment than a depressing World War II camp. Because like I said, that that first 50 minutes, was it was really rough. You know, watching it, uh, it was long, drawn out, and frankly boring. And it's like two movies to me. The first half, terrible. The last half is all right. And I don't think all those genres together were needed for what they wanted when you're going to have this many great football stars. I'm Chris sorry. G? I'm sorry, Christy, this many soccer stars. Yeah. I was going to clarify that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I actually, I go a different route. I kind of think it did. I look at it from the time that it was made, which I can't believe is 40 years ago. Um, you know, I didn't realize John Houston directed it until I watched it, re- rewatched it. I saw it in theaters the first time when it came out, you know, as a kid, and I think it was about 15 at the time. And, um, but I had forgotten about it since then because I hadn't seen it. And then I watched it yesterday for this, uh, for this podcast and I didn't realize John Houston had directed it. So when I watched it, you know, it obviously it gave you the feel of the great escape or one of those kinds of movies that it was trying to emulate. And I think for the time that it was made, I think it, you know, I think it did work. I watch it now and I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things we can pick apart and we will, but I think for the time that it was made, I think the different elements did work. And I, I know it was loosely based on a, I think it was a story out of Kiev or somewhere in Russia or some, something, something like that. But, uh, I thought for the time that it, that it worked, you know, it kind of worked for me. I, I think the storytelling of it, my biggest problem with it, among many, but my big, cause I, I enjoyed the movie. I'll say this. I enjoyed watching this movie. Um, but one of the big problems I had with it is it's friggin' two hours long and they really didn't develop the characters at all. They didn't, you know, they, none of them really had much of a backstory. I mean, you knew Michael Caine played, that's about it. You knew Stallone, you know, as an American, that's about it. You knew Pele grew up in Trinidad. That's about it. You know, Max von Sydow played, that's about it. But you don't really give a reason to cheer and root for these guys other than the obvious fact that you want to root for the allies against the Germans, the Nazis. And so I, that was the biggest part of it for me. I, so from that standpoint, I agree with Chris Haley that it doesn't work, 
but from the standpoint of let's do the soccer game, let's give it a rah rah kind of thing. Um, yeah, I actually thought it did work. I kind of enjoyed that part of it. You know, I'm going to agree with Chris G. I think the film does work. Uh, he does have a point in that you, there's very little character development. You know, Michael Caine is being lambasted by the other uh, you know, officers in the camp saying, you know, you're playing into this German propaganda machine and you could be court-martialed. And I never understand his motivation of why he's agreeing to, why he's still agreeing to do it regardless. Um, you know, well, except once, you know, the Eastern European players come after they've apparently been shipped from a concentration camp that if they quit, then they're going to be sent back and they'll die. And which I find somewhat noble, but is it really, is that the driving force here? Because even if you play the game after they're done, they're going to be sent yeah. We didn't even really see any close-ups of them in the game either. They they could have been there for. No, all they didn't know. play. No, they yeah, didn't. that was that was the question I had when he made that big speech to the team. Like, well, I can't be responsible for sending them back. I can't do that. But we don't have to play. What was that all about? I didn't quite understand that. I mean, they're there. Is it just because they're obviously so physically incapable of playing that these guys are going to have to go Iron Man and play all ninety minutes or? Yeah. Apparently, kind of what yeah. they did. that was it because they're yeah. playing well, that's, with the uh, a man down when Paley, yeah, went yeah. out. So, it, it, and the only really development you have of Hatch is he decides to stay, you know, instead of escaping at, at halftime. You know, that's that he finally gives up the, the kind of the lone wolf. I'm going to do everything by myself and becomes part of a team, literally, uh, and you know, and stays for the victory. Uh, I I think it's overly tall. What? Sorry. You mean for the tie? The tie. Okay. I I understand why it's a, a symbolic victory, but it was a tie. Um, and you know, I think it's a little bit Hollywood to say, oh, the and then the crowd rushes the field, and you know, surrounds them and envelops them, and uh, you know, hides them as they escape from the stadium. When in reality, the Germans would have been opening fire from the get-go from the moment that they rushed the field, mowing down hundreds, if not thousands of people uh, between there and the gates. It's like, yeah, you know, the Germans standing at the gates, should we shoot them? No. <laughs> <laughs> and shooting that, shoot that shoot. smirk off of Max von Sydow's face when they win or when they rush the field. So, I mean, it was just so, it just seems so, uh, that to me was a little bit too Hollywood. It was like, uh, they, you know, the, the, the act of them winning would have been their, their act of, uh, I don't want to say, uh, not aggression, but uh, protest and whatever consequences they would have faced when they went back to the POW camp, which would have been severe <laughs> for embarrassing the Germans, they would have done so. But exactly right. They should have taken that. They should have taken that. Yeah, you're a hundred percent right. Because I, I thought it went. I mean, look, it was a Hollywood movie through and through. I thought the whole thing about the halftime and then we want to stay was the first real break where it was like, oh my god, really? I mean, you have the choice to escape and not be prisoners anymore, but you want to go out because you think you can beat them. I mean, first off, what gives you the thought that you can beat him? You're down four to one and you're down Pele. So what gives you the, th and you got Stallone as a goalie. What gives you the thought that you can beat him that they're all going to rally around number one? Number two, you got the opportunity to escape. Number three, the the guys barely broke through at halftime. So how did they set up for halftime when the guys, you didn't even know if they were going to break through. But once they did, 
it's kind of like, you know, screw you. We're going to go finish the game. They didn't build up the importance of winning or competing enough for when they got to that moment to say, we want to play, we can beat these guys for that to mean anything. Cause they didn't yeah. build that up enough. It was just like, okay, we're down, we're down. Now we got a chance to escape. Oh, but wait a minute, we can beat these guys. And then Michael Caine's like, Oh my God, what do you mean? We can beat these guys. It's like, they didn't, they didn't make enough out of that to make that, to give the audience the yes, go, go back and, and win the game type of thing. So I would have, I think they would have been better off. This is just me making the, you know, either it's the end of the game and they're going to escape or it's halftime and they're supposed to escape and they haven't broken through yet. Therefore they have to go finish the game. Um, or as Patrick said, they go back and say, screw it. We're going to finish the game and we're going to take our, you know, we're going to take our whooping, you know, yep. afterwards. Yeah. The idea that we we're not going to escape and we're going to accept our fate and, and do, cause we understand the heroism of just standing up to them, even though we're supposed to lose uh, and, and why they think they can win. And you know, you're down four one <laughs> and yeah. you just scored a goal right before halftime. It's like, wow, if we only do that three more times, <laughs> If there's three additional halves, we can tie them and potentially wear them down. Uh, when the reality is they're so out of shape, uh, they're going to wear down the second half because they're playing the entire yeah. time. Uh, and as it's just, as Chris G keeps pointing out, they still had Stallone as their goalie who sucked. He just <laughs> in general. So, But don't, don't you think also if they were going that route where they're going to give it the whole – we're going to go back out and play. It, this isn't Rocky where he just has to go the distance. Don't you think they needed to give them that winning goal somehow, whether it's Stallone not making the winning goal as a goalie, but perhaps there's a, you know, there's a penalty kick for each team where the allies make theirs, and then it's up to Stallone to stop it so they preserve the win if Stallone needs his hero moment. But I just felt like the – Moral victory was not enough. It wasn't Rocky where they just needed to go the distance. They needed to get the win, not the tie. He needed to uh, pick the right corner on the corner kick and, yeah. and save the goal that way. Well, and it's interesting you say that because as a kid, I hated the ending because it was a tie. Yeah. I yeah. hated that. You know, my, my experience as youth soccer is there was always a winner. Very yeah. seldom did we have a tie game. And it, it just, yeah, as a, you know, and I, when this came out, I was nine. So as a child, it, the, to me, a tie was like an incomplete game. It was, yeah, you're right. It, it didn't have symbolic meaning to me at the time. As an adult, I appreciate it a little bit better. And I don't necessarily, uh, I, I disagree with you. I, I think the tie can be effective, uh, an effective storytelling uh, device for a film such as this. But I, I agree with you that they didn't build up the drama of it or give give me any sense of to really believe into these players that they, they could win. If this was a matter yeah. of they ran out, you know, like the element of we tied, but we should have lost. But if we played a little bit longer, we would have won, you know. So you're that. saying you want a victory too, where Max von Sydow is saying, I won, but I didn't win. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Max von Sydow, uh, he's he's now the coach of the Korean soccer team, and, <laughs> and Stallone's back, of course. 
you know, and he goes and recruits Kane, who's out, off in the French Riviera. He said, I'm not coming back, you know, and, you know, he talks him into it. And, and then they go down there and they play the, the, the North Koreans. I mean, it's just, it's, and then they finally get the victory, you know, and then you get to, you know, victory three where it just goes completely off the rails. You got a soundtrack by Survivor. Mm -hmm. uh, you're into the Vietnam era. It's a completely different film series. I can't wait for number four where it's all music videos. Uh, <laughs> well, then then it's Cold War Russians. Wow, that, that seems very similar. Very familiar. What does, you know, that brings up one question. What does happen to uh, Max von Sydow at the end? Because he's the one who set this whole thing up. What? He stands up and applauds when the Allies score the tying goal and everything. Obviously, he's put himself out there. What, what do you think happens to this guy when this game is over? Well, he, yeah, he's dead. <laughs> yeah. He, he clearly uh, was... But he dies with a clear conscience. Yeah. He definitely was against the war. I think they set that up well. Yeah. yeah. And just there's nothing he could do because he's a German, and if he does not, he would have been killed long ago so yeah i think he's screwed either way okay christy you've you've hinted at there's problems with this film it's time to pull off the band-aid what what do 50 you minutes in now we're gonna finally oh no <laughs> no i think we've touched on it i mean i'll be honest with you i enjoyed the movie i mean i i did i i watched it yesterday and i i enjoyed watching it because i knew what i was going into it with and uh but I saw, you know, all the flaws of, you know, as we talked about, the fact that they didn't actually get a win when, when that seemed to be the important thing to them and the reason they stayed. And obviously, you know, the acting was very thin. Um, the fact that, you know, did <laughs> and this is just a funny total side note, but when Stallone first goes to pick up his passport and He's in there with the uh, colonel, and the colonel says, we, we want you to contact the resistance. Did anybody else think a top secret? <laughs> That's the oh, first thing now. that came to my mind. But, um, yeah, no, we, I think we touched on it enough. I think we've, we've kind of we've dabbled around the Band-Aid a little bit. There are a couple more things that I'll bring up at the end, but uh, I'm good for now. All right, Chris, anything else about this? film uh, you seem to have more problems with it than christian i did no my my only real problem was that the the first part dragged i'm i'm just enjoying talking some smack but it no i i don't have any more issues other than what you two have already talked about all right well i'm going to talk about something that i think uh, actually worked is i really like the soundtrack and i rem I, I could yeah. hear it in my head even before i started watching the film i could remember all the music, which was composed pretty well. I thought it worked very well for the film. What did you think, Chris H? Who was the composer? You know? Bill Conti, I think. Bill Conti, yeah. Oh, I Who love worked his Jello Pops. <laughs> well, uh, he worked. He worked with Stallone on multiple films, so and and this was one of them. No, I it it doesn't stand out as anything, but you know, I'm not the guy that lit, that notices a lot of music in the films. Uh, so I will say that it, it, since it didn't, it wasn't off-putting to me. I, I would say that then it's sufficient. Um, I, I think that as a period piece, it we I was immersed with the visuals and the, the audios. I think you word? just went a long. I think you just went a long way to say it was okay. <laughs> yeah, 
this this is a, a meh to me. Yeah. I like it. I know I agree with you. I liked it. Yeah, it, it one other it, thing that I don't know if you're talking about things that work or just the music, but one other thing that worked, I thought I thought they did a pretty good job of covering the soccer match. You know, I thought it, it looked realistic. It looked like they were actually playing a real match and just had cameras there capturing the action. Yeah. I, I thought the, the, the cinematography for covering the game was pretty well. I in general, I thought the cinematography for the film was mm-hmm. pretty good. Set design, I have no complaints about it. Uh, you know, any of the the visual elements, I thought they all worked. I, I agree with Chris that the you know the acting was thin as thin, thin as an Eastern European player, uh, but it was it, it it wasn't ever designed to be the strength of the film because who they cast yeah. they went for we need real soccer players to cover up for Michael Caine and Stallone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we've been in the, at this for going over fifty minutes now, so let's. Let's come to the conclusion uh, before this game ends in a tie. Uh, wh- what do you think of victory? Do you think it stands the test time? Any last well, wait, word? Wait, wait, real, real quickly before yeah. we get, can I make one final comment? Sure. Did anybody find it odd that the fake Adrian suddenly didn't give a crap about her kid at the end of the game? Oh, I didn't even notice that. Oh, my God. First off, she sends the kid in to tell, you know, Stallone at halftime. And then the whole audience era, the whole crowd rushes a thing. She goes rushing the field without her kid, so he gets stampeded. And then at the end, you know, she has that Adrian Rocky moment with Stallone. Where's the kid? I'm just saying. German propaganda. They've got it. There him. you go. He's he's still standing there with the flowers. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I had to get that in They've got a few questions for him, and asked, wants to know why they smell like a sewer that's just been opened. <laughs> Well, you know, it's France, you know. Well, there you go. Yeah. Oh, Ooh, there goes the French audience. Yeah, well, both of them. All yeah. right. <laughs> so coming to the conclusion, do we think the film stands? Did you like it back in the day? Do you think it stands the test of time? And any other final words you have on the film? Chris H. You know, I liked it back in the day. I think that as a kid, the two things that scarred me was not watching Jaws or Poltergeist or anything like that. It was... The the bloody buddies in Watership Down, and the broken arm in Victory. Ooh, even though God, it really bothered you that wow yeah it even bothered me because you never saw it. No, I think yeah. it's the sound and the thought of it all yeah. in one. It, it 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 it's very memorable. I didn't I didn't care for it, but you know um as, so as a kid I did like it. You know I was big into sports or or big into soccer I should say I would I didn't I wasn't very good at any other sports. I was just happy to be outside. But as an adult, like I said, the first 50 minutes dragged. And once he got out of the prison, I think it picked up the pace. So I'm going to say it stands the test of time because I think it's a period piece. I think it is fitting for the period. And even though the story is kind of hokey to me and there's a lot of holes that we've already discussed, I'm going to say that this is just a, a an average film. As I stated, meh. It's definitely not the worst of John Houston films, Casino Royale. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it stands the test of time. Do we, have, do we have other bad John Houston films we could say? Oh, I'm sure we do. Yeah, I'm sure there Get, are. I'd have to while look Chris them up. G's speaking, I will look them up. <laughs> okay. Uh, I kind of agree with a lot of what Chris Haley said. I liked it back in, I sort of liked it back in the day, but I saw it coming off of, the Rocky movies and expecting another Rocky movie. So it didn't compare to that, but I, I, 
I sort of liked it back then. I sort of liked it again as I rewatched it. Um, was this a film that you snuck in multiple times in the theater or was this? Oh, hell no. Oh God, no, no. I paid my money, saw it once and said, okay, I saw it. Um, but I do, uh, you know, uh, again, I enjoyed it. Does it stand the test of time? I think it does for the, the period that it came out. Um, you know, we were a lot of, of, uh, I don't, I don't know if it was really still Cold War time. I mean, I know it was still part of the Cold War, but it was right around that time where Reagan came into office and there was a lot of Americana, et cetera, et cetera, and us against the Soviet Union coming off the uh, Miracle on Ice and everything else. So I think it really captured or tried to capture a lot of that um, mood at the time. So I definitely think it probably accomplished that. And since I did enjoy it when I just thought I would say, yeah, it probably does stand the test of time a little bit, despite the obvious flaws we talked about. All right. Uh, did that give you enough time to look it up? Yes. I, I okay. Can I stuttered as much as I could. Three off the top of my head or not the top of my head. Obviously I looked them up. Annie from 1982. Oh, did he do that? Wow. Oh my Lord. Oh, he know. was hard up for money in the eighties. Yeah. From 19- that comes off the heels of this one. Yeah. Phobia from 1980, and one that I cannot believe that Chris has forgotten, 1958's The Barbarian and the Geisha. Oh, wow. I did forget that one. That is not good. I think (laughs) Casino Royale is worse. Well. Casino Royale is worse. Yes, I will agree with it. That's more of a shit show. So Barbarian and the Geisha is more just flat out racist. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I, I liked victory in its, in its day. I, as I said, I was always disappointed with the ending that they ended in a tie. It doesn't bother me as much as an adult. Um, I did enjoy, I ha, I've not seen this, uh, since the early eighties and surprisingly, I really did enjoy watching it much like Chris G said. It was, it was not, it was very nostalgic to go back and watch this film. I expected to dislike it much more than I did. And I didn't, I, I can't even say I disliked it. I will agree. It's a little slow, especially in the first half. It, it takes a while to get moving, but once hatch escapes, it's a much more interesting film and I enjoy going on that ride. Uh, so I, I do think it stands a test of time. I am curious about the remake and what kind of remake this is going to be, because I think if you got, if you played more into drama and heavy drama, this could be an interesting remake of a film. And I'd be very curious to see how it plays out. Um, but if it's made on the cheap and you're just trading on the nostalgia of this film, which I can't imagine they would be because it wasn't like yeah. a huge, huge film, but a lot of people do remember it. Uh, and, you know, just trying to capture off, let's remake an 80s film, uh, which is weird to me to think that Chris just pointed out it's 41 years old uh, at this point in time. And to think that when this film came out, a film that came out in 41 years earlier to us would have been 1940. And that seemed ancient to me in 1981. Yeah. So this, we, we are, we are getting really, really fucking old is what I'm saying, but <laughs> we've already passed the getting stage. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. Some of us more than others. Yeah. So, but yeah, but ultimately I do believe it stands the test of time. I do think it's an entertaining watch even to this day. Better than ladybugs. Better than Ladybugs, which I watched once and never watched again, and I wouldn't watch again. That film gets no respect. Was Michael Caine a better coach than Rodney Dangerfield? 
Oh, that's a close one. That Ooh. is a close one. So. You would follow this up by kissing Superman, so I guess it led to bigger, better things. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for this month's review of Victory. Thanks again for joining us and listening to our little monthly podcast. If you've had a good time, the fun doesn't have to stop here. Uh, you can follow us on Pinterest or Twitter at MH Memories. On either one of those social media outlets, you can keep yourself inform- informed about our occasional written film reviews and film summaries, news on upcoming theatrical group, theatrical releases and trailers, and information on many upcoming podcasts on the MHN Podcast Network. And don't forget to subscribe to our account on YouTube, where we're now releasing our podcasts exclusively. Once there, if you subscribe to our account and click the notifications bell, uh, you'll get updates of when we post new material on YouTube. You can give us a like or dislike uh, and leave a comment about either the film that we're reviewing, our opinions of the film that we're reviewing, or a suggestion for an 80s film that you would like us to review sometime in the future. Of course, we always like the feedback that is uh, positive, but we appreciate any feedback that any listener from any listeners of the show. I will say, though, that sometimes some of our older podcast people leave comments, and I don't remember anymore what we talked about. So I don't <laughs> reply to those comments. Not because yeah, I now, want to be rude, but just because I have no clue what the hell I said four or five, six years ago. Yeah, it's weird now that we now that we've been podcasting for like eleven or twelve years that when they go back and oh, you know, your opinion on, on uh, you know uh, I'm trying to think of Back to the Future or <laughs> A Fish Called Wanda, I go I don't remember what the hell we said eleven or twelve years ago. It's been so long. Oh well. All right. Well, that does it for this episode of Lunchtime Movie Review. Join us next time. Uh, until then, I'm Patrick. I'm Chris Number One. And I'm Chris Number Two. And we got to get out of here right now, and you guys are invited. podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme music for Lunchtime Movie Review, Fireworks, is provided courtesy of Alexander Nakaranda at SerpentSoundStudios.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of MHM Podcast Network, Lunchtime Movie Review, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.